All right, well, good morning. Uh, Glad to see everybody today. Uh, If you remember last week, we started our uh, new Sunday school class as we uh, talk about Christ and culture. And um, we uh, started last week uh, talking about what culture is and how we define that and how that breaks down in various areas. And uh, so this morning, we're going to continue on that a bit uh, before we get into um, some more uh, looking at specific texts in the Bible, I want to continue to help us define exactly what we're talking about. But the first thing uh, we are going to <coughs> look at this morning is are some of the ideas and attitudes that Christians have when we uh, talk about culture or when we talk about interacting with the culture. Um, I have four ways that Christians tend to look at the culture around us. But before I do that, I want to hear from you. What are some different ways that you see Christians looking at culture? As we talk about, uh, remember we we talked last week, we're talking about uh, art and music and religious ideas and institutions and uh, food and all of these kinds of things that make up culture. And we talked about high culture and folk culture and pop culture. Uh, So how do Christians generally uh, interact with these things. What are some of your ideas of how we see Christians doing that? Okay, some try to avoid it altogether, right? Which um, is like a uh, fish trying to not be in the water. It's not possible. We can't avoid it, right? But there is a desire to avoid it. And uh, we'll talk about how uh, they do that and what that looks like in a little bit. What else? Yeah. Okay, so a full embrace, not questioning anything, just jumping right in and being a part of it, right? Changing it, wanting to be in the midst of it and change it and make it something other than what it is. Good. Tris? Okay, try to Christianize it. So those kind of go together. Um, so we're going to um, look at whatever it is we're looking at this time, and we're going to make that Christian somehow. Yeah, just avoid it, <coughs> um, uh, kind of isolate ourselves and have nothing to do with it. Good, that, that really covers it pretty well, but let's, uh, let's dig into each of these more specifically. So four main responses. The first, in, the first one is that we should reject uh, or condemn the culture. We just reject it or condemn it. What happens as Christians when we do this? What's the result? So we leave the world around us without any Christian influence. Okay, what else? Yeah, the gospel is not preached, right? It just kind of uh, stays with those who were fortunate enough to hear it and believe it. Yeah, Kenny? Absolutely, yeah. We very quickly will become very um, very much judgmental in the, the worst sort of way, right? <laughs> Tris? Yeah, sure. So uh, because we become pharisaical in that sense, we elevate ourselves to a place where... Um, we don't want anything to do with them, and surprise, surprise, they don't want anything to do with us, right? So, <clears throat> this solution to culture, if you, look at, um, if you look at a typical church that holds this sort of idea, uh, generally they're, they're fairly weak, actually, when it comes to having any kind of sound structure as a church, 
um, understanding of the scriptures, these sorts of things. Uh, Instead of evaluating the culture and responding to it, uh, the response is just to condemn it. And that's when you hear preaching like this. For God so loved the world. And let me tell you about this evil world and all the people who drink beer and watch movies and go to the theater. That's that kind of preaching, okay? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life is not about taking a pause to go on and on about the evils of this terrible world. Um, But that's kind of the mentality So these are people who are indeed faithful Christians. They admit they have a part in culture, um, but they they treat activities as an unworthy risk, and so they want to avoid it altogether. Um, (coughs) So what happens is God's given us talents and gifts and skills Um, That can be a great uh, blessing to the world around us. And those sort of get buried. Uh, And they don't, they're never used in a way that is a blessing. Um, So we sort of are deprived of some of the beautiful things that God's intended uh, for mankind to enjoy, Christian and non-Christian alike. And that even includes things like music and art um, and literature um, because you wouldn't dare read a book or that has something that's not explicitly theological, right? Um, we, couldn't, we couldn't dare enjoy something like that. And that ends up in a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of self-righteousness. But let's be honest, uh, pointing out the sins of American culture is really easy business. It's, uh, <coughs> it's got a big, huge target on it for Christians, and it's, it's really easy to hit, like anyone who's never tried to hit a target before could hit this one. If you know a little bit about what the scriptures call us to, it's not hard. Um, blatant sin is always an easy thing to point out. Um, but those who don't bear any fruit as they're criticizing all of it, they're usually pretty curmudgeonly. Um, and they, they, can't, they can't point the way through it. There's no way through it. I'm just going to isolate and, um, and segregate and have nothing to do with it. I'm not going to try and forge a way through it. So this solution tries to destroy uh, the culture, but it offers no help through it. All right, so here's the next idea. We should accommodate ourselves to the culture as much as possible. So we've sort of swung to the opposite extreme, and this is the solution that nine out of ten choosy theological liberals prefer. Uh, They believe we should um, subordinate the unchanging truths of Scripture to the ever-changing cultural fads. Do you have any examples of this that you've seen? Okay, yeah, so the um, one thing the world hates about what the scriptures teach is our sexual ethic that sort of gets thrown out the window. So anything goes with regard to that. The church just needs to be okay with it, right? Tris? Yeah, so the overall structure of the church... Uh, begins to take on a form that um, I'm going to have a hard time knowing if I'm going to see Bruce Springsteen or hear from the Bible, right? Good. 
What else? There's sort of uh, names that you've probably heard before that would all fit in this category. The social gospel. Uh, So the gospel is not really about seeing people transformed um, in the way uh, that they think and believe and understand and how they live upon Christ instead of themselves. The gospel is really about um, feeding the hungry and clothing those without clothes and providing shelter for the homeless. Now, are those bad things? No, those are things the church is certainly called to. But when the gospel is defined as such, it becomes something other than the gospel. And we'll talk about that in our sermon this morning. Um, You hear of things like liberation theology or feminist theology um, or you name it, any other religious fads de jour. Um, They're all going to fit into this category. Um, Jay Gresh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So when culture started to shift toward uh, sort of this egalitarian feminist spirit, um, where men and women didn't have roles defined by God that we would fulfill in the purpose God's given us in those, uh, we just want to equalize the plane. And so um, I, for obvious reasons, am always interested to see what's going on in um, some various parts of the military. Uh, There's a big question now about whether or not women should be allowed to go to ranger school and to go to to, um, SEAL training and all these things. I think they do really well in SEAL training, but definitely not ranger school, by the way. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) But... um, that's ongoing right now. That's a discussion going on. Why is that? Because culturally, we've just sort of leveled the playing field and said there is no difference. Well, it's clear. There, I mean, we don't we don't have to uh, ask a lot of questions to get to uh, to the bottom line that there really is significant difference. So when the church sort of levels that out and we just ignore things in the scriptures. Instead of dealing with the fact that the Apostle Paul really does call the church to have male leadership, for example, uh, we just kind of toss it out and say, that was, that was their culture, this is ours, and so we're just going to embrace it. Um, so, absolutely, we see that a lot. Um, and we'll, we'll deal with that even more as we move along. Um, Excuse me. Jay Gresham Machen wrote this. He said, In subordinating Christianity to culture, we have really destroyed Christianity, and what continues to bear the old name is a counterfeit. Um, and the solution also creates a counterfeit culture. Uh, the subordination of Christianity to culture suppresses the biblical norms that are necessary for culture to exist in some form of um, peace. Uh, So everyone gets to make up their own rules is really what happens. Uh, So what becomes the standard of life in this kind of worldview? Good. Group think. Whatever we want collectively, right? So we see that happening today. We talked a few weeks ago, particularly about the issue of homosexuality. Um, the church collectively um, that holds to this kind of view of culture is saying, well, the culture is moving in this direction, and so we need to move with it, and we need to understand um, how we are going to continue to embrace this. Now, 
That's not to say the church doesn't need to think more clearly about this issue. We do. We need to find ways uh, to communicate uh, in the midst of this. However, to just embrace it and say this is the direction the church needs to go now because the culture is going that way, um, everything becomes uh, prominent over and above the scriptures. Any new idea that comes into the culture becomes that which we just submit ourselves to. So uh, we've seen it in all sorts of ways. Um, the, other, the other big one that we hear a lot of today is the idea that um, it's kind of this relativism, this universalism. Uh, you love God, I love God. doesn't matter what you call him or what you think about him. Uh, we're all sort of on the same journey together, um, and it removes Christ. So there is no gospel. Um, and these are what we can call, uh, this is sort of this no-win war, right? Because what is okay today um, may be terrible tomorrow, and so I need to go with what's tomorrow instead of what's today. Um, so what happens then is we have sort of this, um, this, this battle and we see this playing out today, that those then who subordinate themselves to the culture, uh, they're not, they may claim to be Christian, but they turn to those who are saying, no, we need to hold to the scriptures. We can't subordinate ourselves to the culture. Then they join the, the world's team in looking at the church and saying, you're a bunch of, you know, whatevers. Um, and so uh, if they're going to claim the name of Christian, they've turned against those who also uh, call themselves Christians. But they can call themselves what they want if, at the end of the day, uh, your idea of the gospel is um, that we just embrace the world around us, then um, you're probably not a biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's been no less than half a dozen denominations that have been very conservative in the past over the last five years that have divided over that very issue um, or just have gone to embrace it. Absolutely. Um, <coughs> all right, so the third idea about culture is that we should seek to transform the culture with Christian principles. Oh, Lee, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sure. So God is love, and uh, we've talked about that a few weeks back. And if God is love, then we just sort of... Uh, let everyone kind of go along, get along, and we embrace it all. Right. It's a misunderstanding of the nature and character of God. Uh, not that we should not try to... Well, we'll get to that. Never mind. So, <laughs> all right. Third, we should seek to transform the culture with Christian principles. So there's a story of a Marine general during the Korean War. Uh, at one point, he and his small team of troops uh, were surrounded by massive amounts of Chinese soldiers. He looks at the situation, he rubs his hands, and he says, well, they can't get away now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a very optimistic view. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and this is the idea, culturally, uh, that Christians have a responsibility, not just in terms of the Great Commission and bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, but um, in terms of actual transformation of the culture. Like, we need to take what it is and make it to be something new. 
Uh, so it's the idea that Christians should be working actively to change all the various sectors of a society. Uh, the media and business and art and academia and government. And we need Christians in these places doing their thing. And in time, as we see uh, them at work and applying Christian principles, then all of these areas are going to change. So the idea is that Christianity is fundamentally um, different from the world and as followers of Christ uh, and we're called to be agents of reconciliation so we should be working to reconcile men and women uh, but also all of culture back to Christ. Now do you see any potential problems or flaws in thinking uh, in this regard? Okay sure so we see that a lot right so uh, if you find yourself in uh, one of these positions, uh, it's very easy instead of transforming to be conformed to the environment that we find ourselves. Absolutely, Kenny. Sure, it's all about me, and um, if that place is not transformed, it's because I'm not doing enough. It couldn't possibly be that God has some other design through that. Yeah, Tris. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. That's, and that's, um, so there is a, uh, there is a view of uh, eschatology, how things are going to be in the end, that sort of plays into this. It's uh, an idea, I don't hold to this idea, but it is an idea that's very prominent, well, it used to be very prominent, um, that things eventually are going to get better and better and better, and there's going to be this golden age of Christianity, and the majority of the world is going to be Christianized, and then the kingdom will be established in the new heavens and new earth. So um, generally you see that worldview take place in times of great prosperity and hope. So uh, during the American Revolution, uh, this new thing was coming and everyone thought, oh, this is it. This is what's going, the Lord's going to use to bring about this great revival in the world. Uh, you saw it during the Great Awakenings. Uh, so um, that's when a lot of people were holding these ideas. But we have to ask the question, does the Bible really call us to, um, to seek fundamentally transformation in every sector of culture? Is that what God is calling us to do? Or is he calling us to um, the fourth thing I want to bring out this morning, that we should seek to live faithfully within culture as neither its friend or its enemy? We seek to live faithfully as Christians within the culture uh, neither calling ourselves its friend or its enemy. And here's the idea, that as Christians, we do not see culture in and of itself as inherently evil or righteous, but we recognize it to be a necessary part of life and something that we are called by God to live within as faithful stewards of what he has given us examining the things around us, determining what can be used rightly, rejecting those things uh, that exist that are opposed to God's word. So, in some ways, I appreciate the last idea I shared about transforming culture. I, there are things about that that I appreciate and I like, um, and it just sounds attractive to me. And theoretically, I can sign on and say that's a great and wonderful thing. Practically, and as I read the scriptures, do I see that playing out? Do I see that as something that the Lord has said is going to happen? Um, 
That's another question. I don't see that so much. But this idea differs, but really only slightly. There's still a healthy desire here to to create and to work hard and to engage in the areas that we live and work and do our hobbies, uh, to bring improvements and godliness where we are able. But this is really a bit more pessimistic when it comes to the end result. Uh, In other words... The world is broken, and the world will remain broken until Christ returns. But in the meantime, we live within it. We uh, will uh, seek the welfare of the city, is the language that God uses with the Israelites. Um, But we realize it is our exile only for a time. Eventually, we will see all that exists now come to an end, making a way for the new heavens and the new earth. So the example of this is when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon and they were sort of trying to figure out what is life going to look like here? What do we do while we're here? Um, But the Lord didn't tell them to just sort of uh, build some walls and have nothing to do with anyone around them and to do their own thing. What did he tell them to do? For 70 years now. Lee? Yeah, good. He said, continue marrying your sons and daughters off. Plant gardens. Um, And so seek uh, some um, prosperity of the land. But he says, seek the welfare of the city. Fully knowing in 70 years, we're moving on. We're going to be released from all of this and we're going to be able to go back to our own land, right? But while you're here, you have a responsibility to do these things, is what God told the Israelites. And I think there's a very pertinent application for us here. He didn't say burn it down and fight against it and isolate yourselves from it. Live within it faithfully. But at the same time, he was still going to hold them responsible for things like idolatry, uh, things like, um, uh, well, all of the Ten Commandments. We can look at all of them. They still needed to worship God and God alone. Uh, They still needed to obey him over and above uh, any other authority in their lives. So I think um, Daniel is a wonderful example of what this looks like, to live faithfully in the culture, right? Daniel was a model citizen. He did everything that he was told to do and was expected of him as a citizen until what? Yeah, he was told to do something contrary to God's word. And then he said, I cannot and I will not do it. And him and his three friends, even they said, uh, Oh, great king, um, we will obey God and not man. And you can try and kill us. um, And even still, we're not going to turn against God. He will rescue us, but even if he doesn't... um, we're not listening to you. We're listening to the Lord. So, <clears throat> are there any potential problems with this, though? This idea that we seek to live faithfully within our culture as neither its friend nor its enemy. Do you see any potential problems here? Yeah, so it is really, really difficult 
to find the middle of the road instead of falling off on the ditches on each side, right? We inherently as human beings love things to be black and white and when we see something that's gray, we seize up and don't want to deal with it. Just tell me what to do or not to do and I'll be very happy with that. I don't want to have to make decisions on my own, right? Okay, Sam? Same thing, okay? Yeah, <laughs> you create your own lane altogether, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's right at the heart of the issue, right, is when we look at all that the world does around us, everything, we have to take it all, uh, evaluate it, determine if there's any quality of it that we can look at and um, embrace or must we reject it outright and can it be used in a way that is beneficial and enjoyable to us while simultaneously uh, that glorifies God. Or doesn't offend God is another way we can say that. Um, so I think really, hopefully, as we go through all of these weeks, that, that's kind of the answer we're trying to dig out. Like, what does that look like in, in, in light of what the scriptures teach us and what God calls us to be and do? What does it look like to... Um, I hope we can agree, at least up front, that this idea that we... Um, have you guys seen the movie The Village by M. Night Shyamalan? That's like the perfect example. And if you've not seen it, ask me. I have the edited version. You can watch it. Um, <laughs> it's a group of people who hated the world around them. So they went out in the middle of nowhere. They cut out in the midst of trees this community. And then they raised all of their kids. And as they raised their kids, they said, you can't go out into the trees because when you go out there, the monsters will get you. Um, and so they scared them into thinking everything outside of their community was evil and wicked and was there to get them. Um, and so they had their own uh, rules and laws within that community, and, um, and there was no interaction outside of that. Well, of course, it wouldn't be a good movie if that whole system didn't get thrown into disarray and uh, people start to figure out that, wait a second, this isn't real. There's something outside of this and uh, so I won't spoil the rest of it if you haven't seen it. But it's that idea that we're just going to go off and start our own thing and have nothing to do with the rest of the world. Um, Christians uh, tried this. Uh, and this was the idea behind monasticism. Um, I'm going to go off and it's going to be me and Jesus in the desert. And I'm just going to have this really wonderful relationship with him. And, uh, and that's all there is to it. Well, you miss out on a lot of things that God calls you to be and do in that kind of mentality. So I hope we can just sort of reject that idea altogether and say that's not what God has in mind for Christians. Um, I certainly, just looking around, I don't think anyone has the idea here that we just sort of embrace everything and don't ask questions. We just sort of uh, fade right into all of it and, and take part in it. Now, uh, if we're honest, we'll say we struggle with that. We probably struggle with that a lot more than the other um, because it's a lot easier to just kind of go with the flow. Um, but I don't think anyone here s struggles with the idea that that's not what God calls us to either, to just fully embrace the world around us. So we're stuck in this sort of middle zone. We don't want to reject it all. We don't want to embrace it all. We need to be critical thinkers. We need to deal with the gray area and, um, and work through what God calls us to uh, in that. So we need to ask questions, pointed questions 
the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the clothing and jewelry that we wear, and whatever cultural stampede that the world thinks of next. Um, but the questions should all revolve around what it actually means. And when we come to understand the foundational movie, uh, the foundational meaning of the movie, um, say, Anchorman, for example, or when we come to find the foundational meaning of something like body piercing or indie pop music and pixie sticks, when we ask questions about these things, we should not be surprised when it all comes out uh, with the same basic message. Do what you feel and go with the flow, right? I don't think anyone can argue, uh, effectively at least in my mind, that these things I've just mentioned... Anchorman, body piercings, indie pop music, and pixie sticks. Because, come on, it's just a tube full of sugar with color in it. Uh, that all of this is about do what you feel and go with the flow, right? Uh, now, can we look at these things and ask some questions about them? Are there qualities of these things uh, that we can embrace? Well, that's a question for us to ask and answer and not just say, well, the world created it, so we reject it. Um, because we need to get to a place where as Christians we have the discipline of thinking like Christians. Those who think uh, the answer is to completely reject and have nothing to do with culture don't mind if their kids don't think about pop culture as long as they abstain from it. Um, So ignorance and purity go hand in hand. That's kind of the rejection mentality, the fortress mentality, like Jeff said. Um, so the ideas come out from among them, be separate, don't think, just don't. Don't think about these things. Um, and in the meantime, those who want to subordinate all things to the culture end up with, uh, uh, with lives and with children who are just contaminated um, and they're ignorant, not of the world, but of the scriptures. Uh, but both of them share an ignorance of what's really going on. The blessing of being a Christian is that we get to live in the world having a clear view of what's really going on. Not what the world's telling us is going on, um, and not just what was going on in first century AD at the times of Jesus, but what's really going on in the world right now, because we can see a marrying of these things. So when we're evaluating culture, which is what we're going to be doing, we're thinking about the church's role in all of it, we have to be careful. Um, When people become ardent defenders of something, they have a really hard time seeing any faults in it. Uh, So, for example, Christians who want to be staunchly in favor of all things pop culture might hear me say, well, rock and roll culture by nature, is a rebellious culture. And quickly, they're going to respond, well, what about Bruce Springsteen and the Beatles and my neighbor's garage band? Are you saying they're all evil? Of course not. I'm sure that your kid neighbor has some great hits. Um, And there's plenty of other stuff out there. But... And, and, and on top of that, I want to be very thankful for God's common grace, that there are aspects of these things we can enjoy. But the wind of rebellion is still blowing. So instead of fully accepting it or, or 
just completely rejecting it. Let's evaluate it. Let's ask questions about it. Um, Pop culture is a disposable culture, like we talked about last week. Um, And that is for anyone who agrees to consume it. But because cultures are meant to be handed down to subsequent generations, we talked about high culture and especially folk culture, um, they're meant to be preserved. Any kind of consumable culture is really anti. It's against. It's, it's moving against the grain of what culture was designed to be. Um, and this is where pop culture and rebellious high culture find their meeting place. Uh, no one's going to hand down works of this century's rebellious high art and of uh, and the, the high art and the architecture uh, to the generation below them because it's like really ugly. <laughs> Just look at it. Um, no one's going to hand down pop culture as an inheritance either. Think about it. And to my great grandson, I bequeath all of my One Direction CDs. It's just not going to happen. Uh, It's a consumable thing that we take in now, but we reject later. It it goes away. Pop culture was all eaten up at the time, and there isn't any left. Um, And then the highbrows of uh, later cultures are going to be really thankful that it's gone. Um, So, of course... Production in pop culture can frequently be very demanding, but the consumption of it rarely is demanding at all. It takes a lot to produce it. it takes pretty much nothing to consume it. So let's think of a few examples. Think of the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. He's a Christian man at the end of all of his pieces of music. He wrote SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. He wanted all that he did to be to the glory of God. If you've ever tried to play a piece of music by Bach, it can be very demanding. But it's not only demanding of the one who's performing it. Who else is it demanding of? The one who's listening to it, right? Uh, This is why minds that are undisciplined and don't understand it just avoid it, right? So you hear people say, well, that's, I'm not going to listen to that. That's classical music. Why would I want anything to do with that? Because it invites thought and contemplation and discipline and lots of other icky things that we don't want anything to do with. Now, think opposite of that of your favorite rock guitarist. And he may very well be, and often they are, guitar virtuosos. Some amazing uh, guitar players out there. But, let's be honest, Eddie Vedder's finger-tapping makes no demand of the hearer, does it? Other than a willingness to have your face melted. (laughs) I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to enjoy it. It's impressive, but it's not demanding of me to, uh, to contemplate. It's not bringing me anywhere. In fact, if there's lyrics over the top of it, they're probably rather pointless. Um, so I'm not engaged in the same way. So I may be left with ringing ears, but I'm still kind of where I was when I started. Um, Remember, again, we've said these things aren't inherently sinful in and of themselves, but they need to be evaluated for what they are. We need to ask the question, what is the meaning of this? And when I discover the meaning of it all, how do I interact with it? How do I consume it? 
Um, modern movie making, very much the same way. Um, we see some impressive cinematic undertakings, millions and millions and millions of dollars to make movies, and to what results? Well, some of them, uh, <laughs> there's not a lot in the end that we can say we gained anything from. Um, countless herds of people will file into movie theaters and with glassy stares will look at all the eye candy on the screen and go home, and that's it. We've not been brought to think of anything, uh, to be challenged by anything. It just is. But there's other things that sort of are preserved. Why are they preserved? I don't think um, probably, let me, I can even ask uh, anyone here under 18, okay, okay. Uh, Christopher, have you ever heard of the movie called Dude, Where's My Car? Okay, so there you go. It's not, it's not, it's not going to be preserved through the generations, right? There's nothing about it that we look at and say, this is something we need to think about and contemplate and discover the meaning of and hand down to my children. If you think it is, then we need to talk. <laughs> um, however... There are other things that we can think of, and I, I'm desperately trying to not have someone say Star Wars because I've never seen it, but, um, <laughs> but some Star Wars aficionado here, I'm looking at you, Russ and Tris, um, are going to say there are qualities of this that we can look at and say what's the meaning, and we can be challenged to think about on these sorts of levels, right? There are things like... Um, I don't know. You can. I'm not a big movie guy, so I don't know a lot. But um, on some level, there are these things we can look at and say they have something behind them that challenges us to think differently, that challenges us to evaluate and to discern and to see what is our role in this or outside of this. Um, and as it is movies today, uh, yesteryear it was plays. Uh, why has Shakespeare endured, uh, uh, been something that people have continued to read all these years later? I love Shakespeare. Merchant of Venice is his best work in my mind. But why is that? Because at the heart of the Merchant of Venice teaches us about the relationship between law and grace. And Shakespeare was very clear to communicate that in the midst of it. So there's something here for me to think about and be challenged by while I'm being entertained by this play. Not, dude, where's my car? (laughs) So these are the things we're going to be uh, thinking about. Food, music, dress, books, entertainment, uh, the powers that can be catered uh, to the undisciplined who want to stay that way. Um, So in a biblical culture... A man expects his great-grandchildren to read what he has read, to sing what he has sung, to listen to what he has listened to. In a Pharrell Williams happy culture, like the one that surrounds us currently, that our, uh, at least my grandchildren won't know about, my children already know that song, Um, a man uh, that expects all of his cultural experiences um, that he's had to be going on is not thinking rightly. He must identify the fact that they're going to be buried with him. In the year 2525, do you think anyone will have heard of that song? Uh, Probably not, unless it's one of us who lives today. Um, So, 
that's where we'll end this morning because that leaves us at a place where we need to put down some biblical principles of thinking about these things. And then we're going to deal with various aspects. We're going to divide them out and look at them individually. So any uh, thoughts or questions this morning as we close? Yeah, it's a good question. And we'll get way into this because we're going to deal with church music as well. But um, So the point is, some things are going to last. And they last because they have certain qualities about them as opposed to things that don't last which are lacking in those qualities. So uh, Justin Bieber might be a household name today, but in 50 years, he won't be unless, you know, he's in the news and going to jail again for something else. Um, So uh, what are those qualities? Um, I brought up Eddie Vedder because I happen to really like (laughs) listening to him play the guitar. Um, But when I have to uh, compare that to why uh, box music has uh, lasted for several hundred years now, what are the qualities of each? It doesn't make one you know, righter than the other. It just means that one has a certain quality that the other doesn't that's going to cause it to to last through the centuries. And maybe uh, in 100 years that is going to be Eddie Vedder because he's done something musically that is uh, unique and uh, difficult and challenging, but um, we, we don't know that while we live in the present. So I think that's, it, the point is that we need to look at all of these things and ask these questions, evaluate them. Why, is it, why am I enjoying this? Is it okay to enjoy it? And if so, I just need to be honest about it. I enjoy it because it's kind of, uh, you know, poppy and fun, not because it has any <laughs> uh, lasting quality to it. Does that make sense? Like, I like to eat food, not because um, I know I'm going to you know, still be enjoying that same meal in three weeks, but because right now, right here, it tastes good and I like good food. Um, it's not going to last, but I can make it again. <laughs> All right, well, we need to get our kids from Sunday school, so let's uh, pray and then we'll gather for worship. Lord, thanks again for our time this morning. I pray most of all, Lord, that these times of discussion will be fruitful and helpful and make us to be hard, deep thinkers, uh, evaluators, and uh, and not just shutting ourselves off from the world that you've created. Uh, Lord, by your common grace, you've created many wonderful things that we can... Um, we can enjoy and use. Uh, you've, um, you've also called us to evaluate things and to discern whether or not they are uh, evil or wicked, and that should be avoided. Uh, but Lord, we want, to, um, we want to be a people who thinks critically about all of these things and not just simply avoid or simply embrace without asking hard questions of it. So help us, Lord, along the way. Help us to... Um, to think, to ask questions, to evaluate, um, and to uh, have an eye in all of it toward uh, your glory and toward being the best disciples and most faithful we can be in the world that you've called us to live in. Uh, Lord, prepare us now as we gather for worship that you'd be glorified in all that is said and done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.